0: Summer leaguey didn't have the same intensity of Game Seven of the NBA Finals, but it was basketball, and it's back into our lives and into our TV sets. It'll continue tonight as the Jazz take on the Nets on AT&T SportsNet at 3:30 Mountain Time. This is Roundball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. You won't want to miss our interview today. It's with Bleacher Report's Taylor Rooks, Jazz Insider. You watch the video where she interviewed Rudy and they discussed the relationship with Donovan Mitchell. We get into that with her here on the podcast, so make sure to stay tuned for that. I want to start here, though, on the games that we saw a loss to the Suns, then a win against the Heat on Saturday. Two different energy games. And it's got to be encouraging to see two different levels of play where the Jazz were able to turn it on in the second game after a uneven performance in the first one. Again, there was zero intensity. You don't want to read too much into what you're going to see uh, as far as the lineups that are used and how guys are playing, because things will ramp up once we get to the seeding games. Even in the seeding games, consider that the Jazz, through 64 games, are already secured a playoff position. They have an X next to their name. This is about getting to a point where the starting lineup is comfortable with each other. Justin Zanuck, he said in one of his interviews last week, don't read in too much to these scrimmages, and and I, I'm not going to either. I don't read too much during preseason. Don't read too much during summer league. Take it with a little bit of just a data point to point along the way. I will say, that starting lineup that they went to, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neill, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, yeah, they've only played 14 minutes together. They're plus 8 in those minutes, and if you drill down further into cleaning the glass, they've just played 28 possessions together. The metrics have them as a plus 36 in the differential. Chemistry on the court with that starting lineup that is completely new and needs to forge itself because you have to you have to find those 20 points from Boyan Bogdanovich's absence. We talked about this with Bowler last time on the podcast. You can listen to it wherever you got this one. More impetus on Jordan Clarkson on Mike Conley, on George Yang, it's going to be those guys who replace that production, and it's got to be by committee. George, bombing from deep, he went three for four in the first game, four of nine in the second game. If he can shoot at the same level that he was when he was getting big minutes, relieves the pressure. George doesn't have the same defensive flexibility, it's a tougher ask, but if he's got that offense going and he's shooting from deep, that opens up things for that entire bench unit. You can see the chemistry between Donovan and Rudy. We'll get into their relationship with Taylor Rooks, don't worry. But as far as relationship on the court, three alley-oops in the game in a dominant performance by Rudy. 21 points against the Heat, one huge block on Tyler Hero that sent him down to the ground And Rudy telling him, no, no, no. That's why he's still in contention for the Defensive Player of the Year. That type of play, the play against DeLon Wright earlier in the season, the block on Damian Lillard last year, Rudy's trying to make it three-time. And that's exactly what was being yelled at him during his post-game availability after the game against Miami. Rudy and Donovan connected on three alley-oops. stat from Tim McMahon... They have only had one three-assist game, Donovan to Rudy, during the entire 64 before the hiatus. They're looking for that lob. You saw Mike Conley find Rudy on the lob. If they find him there, he's going to be comfortable with his touches. He's going to be happy with the way that he's being used in the offense. You have to just make sure you're feeding him on the offensive end so he can continue to apply that defensive work on the other side of the floor. Donovan was electric during the first scrimmage against Phoenix, 17 points, 3 of 4 from 3, 4 assists. The step back on Ty Jerome, put that in his mixtape. Donovan can get a bucket, and he needs to play at an elevated level so that they can be a tough out when it comes to the postseason. If he goes to another level, he can carry a team in his series. It needs to do that over a consistent seven-game stretch. But encouraging signs from Utah in the second scrimmage more so than the first. Again, still summer leaguey, Low energy when it comes to the scale of one to Lakers-Celtics in the 80s. News around the league that is concerning the Jazz. Zion Williamson returned to the Pelicans on Friday, Pioneer Day. Hope you had a great one. He will undergo a four-day quarantine, making him available for the restart opener against the Jazz. Clearly, the Zion factor for that team is huge. The way they play with him, how he makes quick decisions, just is so fun to watch. Zion will be available for selection when it comes to Thursday. And we'll get more into a preview in the next edition of Round Ball Roundup. But it was murky with him going away to deal with family issues. He was tested while he was out of the bubble. Now that he's back in, he'll have to stay in that room. And we'll talk about this with Taylor Rooks. The rules that they have in place are so stringent and so detailed that permeating this bubble will be very difficult if they know that you've been outside of it. So I really anticipate seeing... This first week as a nice litmus test for how things will go forward. We've seen problems in baseball, but then you look at MLS and the bubbles that they've had, it's completely different from the other league. They've been able to maintain themselves so that they continue their sport. Adam Silver in the pages of the New York Times was optimistic, but he understands this completely new territory and something that no other league has ever done. These are unprecedented times. The other thing that I saw that was really bright, WNBA getting started up. And it offers a preview for what we might see on the social justice side from these players. The Liberty in the Storm. Brianna Stewart came out, was talking about the things that those players are doing. They're going to dedicate their season to Brianna Taylor a concern that is close to Donovan Mitchell's heart. He's talked about it in his media sessions. They also are dedicating their season to the Say Her Name campaign. The WNBA players have been on the front foot of these issues for so long. Maya Moore, at the height of her career, ends it to try to get one of her relatives out of jail. Accomplished it. It was a beautiful video that you saw during this hiatus. Renee Montgomery, not playing in the WNBA bubble, So that she can commit herself to these issues as well. Inspiring stuff. And as it translates to the NBA, I've been so encouraged by the way that players are educating themselves, by how they're buying into their own communities. Ray John Tucker, Nigel Williams Goss, going to protests, engaging and trying to make their places better. You see it with Donovan's foundation, Rudy's kids trying to elevate those less fortunate. Every single player is putting in the time to get to a point where we can have this true reckoning with what's going on in this country. The racism, the brutality, it needs to be reckoned with. And Quinn Snyder, when he joined the Woj Pod, highlighted how we need to have these difficult conversations, uncomfortable conversations. If what you've gleaned over this time has been staying in your safety zone or staying in your safe box, you're not engaging with the conversation. The dialogue hasn't reached you to the point where you're starting to see things from others' perspectives. You have to be willing to do that, and many of these players have. You saw the Lakers' availability where they all brought up Rihanna Taylor. Donovan continues to amplify that message as well. The message on the streets is translating itself to the message from the athletes. And that is hugely important in these times. The LA Times came out with a report of players planning something for the opening game, opening night. Jordan Clarkson Tony Bradley, in their availability, they said the Jazz were still discussing what they were going to do. We'll have to keep an eye on that. We'll continue the discussion with our next guest. Taylor Rooks, make sure everybody can listen to this program by giving us five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. It helps others find that's how these algorithms work. And so wherever you listen to us, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever, rate and review. Taylor Rooks, find her on her social media because that's where she's putting up her content and it is good stuff. Just last week, she had the NBA Bubble Journal, which involved Rudy Gobert, an interview with him, John Morant, Kemba Walker. She's documenting her time down in the bubble and gives a perspective on what it is like to live inside. It's not the same as the players, but as far as the access she's getting, it's pretty heightened. And the detail and the level of planning that the NBA has gone into turned me, which used to be a bubble skeptic, into a bit of a bubble believer. They've gone through a first-round of testing, zero positive cases. At 300-plus, she began her journey in Orlando with something that nobody wants, a positive test result. We started there in our conversation with Taylor Rooks.
1: Oh, I mean, it was like a roller coaster. I mean, when you have somebody tell you that you might be positive for it, or well, not that you might be, they say you're positive. I mean, it's a shock. And I was especially shocked because I had just been tested for COVID-19 before I came down and I was negative. So I'm like, when did this happen? Um, So I I think the thing now is just kind of always being a little nervous when you have a test. You're like, okay, what's this one going to be? Do I have it? Am I good? Am I okay? How do I feel? Um, But... Like I said, you know, the NBA handled it so well, and it made it made me feel a lot safer after that because I realized how stringent they are with the protocol. The moment they think that you might have it, I mean, it's instantly like, do not leave your room. And even if it is a false positive, and they know that at the time, you still have to register two negatives before you're able to leave.
0: How long was it where you thought you were positive with COVID-19?
1: So... I arrived Sunday, July 12th. I was tested Sunday, July 12th. On Monday, they called me and said it was a positive. And I, so I didn't know for like 100% sure that it was a false positive until Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. But luckily, nothing changed too much in my schedule because the media has to be quarantined for seven days anyway. So it was just more being in my room, you know? So. Yeah the timing of having a false positive is going kind of have come at a better time.
0: If there's ever there a time to have yeah. a, a false positive, I suppose it's in the NBA campus. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this in, in the journal. Uh, Spencer Didwitty, Rudy, and Donovan both helped you through this. How did they, they help you with... when? You received this news,
1: yeah. So I wanted to talk to Rudy and Donovan more so about the mental aspect of it, which is like, okay, are you nervous when you get tested now? Are you always scared that it might come back and say that you have it? Because obviously they had both gone through it, and they both, like Donovan specifically, was like, you know, the thing that helps me is just my faith. You know, like I just have faith in you know God and everything, and that helps me get through it. And Rudy was you know, you know how Rudy's personality is. He's just kind of like, you know, I'm happy that you're good, but you're going to be okay. You just keep taking the test. You're going to be fine. It's not necessarily in your control. Like you just keep going. So it was just nice to be able to speak to people who had gone through it and knew how it felt to hear somebody say that you had it. Because when I was speaking to friends, like they It's not that they were downplaying it, but they're like, okay, well, you don't have it. But that initial feeling of thinking you have it is, like, you really do not understand that unless somebody has called you and said you're positive for coronavirus. Um, It's definitely a a pretty scary feeling. So it was good to talk to people who, you know, related on a real level.
0: What did you take from out of it, from... Thinking that you had it, then getting, getting those negative tests after, afterward once you had that false positive.
1: Yeah, I genuinely took out of it that the NBA is doing a great job. Yeah. Because I once that happened, I was like, there is no way anybody is walking around with it. Maybe somebody in their room might have it, but there is no way that we are being exposed to it. I mean, every morning you wake up, you have to take your temperature, you have to take your pulse, um, and it is Bluetoothed into your phone so that everybody knows exactly you know, your, like how your body is doing. Do you have any early signs or early symptoms of coronavirus? Every day you have to get tested. And all of that information goes onto these bands that we wear on our wrist. So whenever we're entering into a space, whether it be a scrimmage, a practice, a shoot around, a dining, we have to hit that wristband. And if it's green, you're good to go into that area. If it is not green, you cannot go in. So you can only be around people, really, if all of those things took off. If your test for that day was negative, if your temperature is okay, if your pulse is okay. So it's, um, they definitely kind of have it down to a science, trying to keep everybody safe, and that made me feel good.
0: Is that the most abnormal part of the entire experience, having the bands, having to register what you're going through nearly on the daily?
1: Yeah. I mean, the most abnormal part might be games (laughs) and just like that environment. But yes, in terms of your routine and what you're doing and just things that you have never done before, you know, I've never taken my temperature this much in life. So that takes adjusting. But now I'm genuinely very used to it. I have a routine. It's like the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning because you have to do all those things before you leave the room.
0: Well, you brought it up. What is the atmosphere for the games, at least the scrimmages that we've we've seen so far.
1: Yeah, so I keep telling people, for me, the most accurate comparison is Summer League. It feels a lot like Summer League to me. I don't think it's the, an AAU vibe. I mean, AAU, you still feed a lot from the crowds. You know, when you're looking at those elite AAU teams, I mean, the crowds are a show in, their, in itself. But this feels just like a Summer League game. There's people parceled in, there's media. And like during summer league, for me, I could hear what was going on the court a lot more than I could a normal NBA game. So my comparison has been summer league, maybe a hybrid of summer league and high school basketball. But it's been really cool for media because in some of the arenas, we are literally sitting courtside. For the jazz game that is happening today, I think that is one of the smaller arenas and we'll be right there. I mean, you hear Every single thing. I mean, the amount of trash talk, the way that they try to argue about calls with the ref, the way they're talking to their coaches—like you hear it all. And so, it's been very eye-opening and just a really cool experience to be in there. It's—you will hear the most silent free throws you've literally ever heard in your life. So, so it's um, it's interesting for sure
0: what is your approach when you're going into these games? Because that was something that many people were having a concern was the journalism around these games, having everything in a press conference. You don't get that direct locker room access, but mm-hmm. there are also those advantages of, of having these games with no fans. You get to hear everything.
1: Yeah, for sure, and honestly, I don't really feel like my content nor my like interviews have suffered not having the locker room. I mean, granted, I do think that the way that we quote unquote normally do it when we're able to join the locker room and talk to guys, it allows people to foster relationships. It allows you to get good questions, good answers, things on the side, like all that's so important. And I'm, you know, excited for the day the world is healthy and that we can go back to that. But I do think for this, because there's so few of us, you still be, are able to have those interactions. Um, you're still able to ask those questions. When they're done on the podium, you can talk to them for a little bit. I think it works really well for my blog because my blog is really about those offbeat moments. You know, like yesterday I met, I had Russell Westbrook wearing his shirt for social justice and I asked him when he was done, like if he's selling them, he said no. And he's like, I'll get you one. I'll bring you in on Sunday. Like for fans, that's a moment. You know, so I have that recorded. That's what goes into the vlog or talking to James Harden about the mask he's wearing because it fits perfectly over his beard. It was crazy. So like having him talk about that, you know, it's those moments, I think, is what what fans are really interested in in this Orlando campus because they think that they're seeing basketball players very normal. I don't really know how much fans care about the press conferences inside of this bubble. Like they want to know what it is like being in the bubble how they are normally, what they're like with their teammates, their friends, just those normal day-to-day things, what they're talking about. So I'm trying to focus on that a lot more. I, I view a lot of this as somewhat of a social experiment, and probably a bit of a scientific experiment as well. But it's, it's definitely that's how I'm approaching um, the stuff that I'm creating while I'm here. Well,
0: it is quite the experiment to be a part of, one that many people will write the books, do the documentaries about, uh, Kemba had a great point on on your your one of the interviews that you've done about how a guy like LeBron, this is the only time when he can walk out and not get a get just surrounded. It, it right. is it is completely a bubble for these players. I'm sure that also uh, plays into what you're trying to capture uh, with Bleacher Report.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when Kimba said that, it was something I hadn't really thought of. Like, imagine you're LeBron James and you can literally walk out of your door and not think twice about it. You know, it's just like, OK, I'm going to go grab food and you can just walk. Kimba was like, he probably has done that since he was like nine years old. And that's true. So in some ways, I think this campus has been a bit of a release for guys and a, a nice um just a a nice kind of moment to be something different than what you are to the world. Cause we really are in our own little planet. It's just us. We are going to be seeing the same people for months. (laughs) So I think everybody is adjusting to that. And so going into the bubble, I thought there was maybe a 50% chance that the season would finish. Now that I'm here, I'm like, Oh, it's finishing. I mean, it's just, it's planned perfectly. They have thought about everything. It was so great to see the report that there was no positive COVID cases amongst players. I mean, that was a a big hurdle to go get over and they got over it. So and I, I think we'll continue to see lots of reports that say that there's no positive COVID cases and we'll continue to take steps that will make everybody feel incredibly comfortable about the environment that we're in. But it's so far, this is going as planned, probably if not better. I was initially
0: at least a little bit of a bubble skeptic because a lot that was being done, maybe it wasn't as, as, as clear to media or fans or people out there, but you went through it just with that test, having a false positive, the results of, of that round of testing. The next hurdle in in my mind has to be when they introduce people back into the bubble and jumping that then we can say, wow, they really are going to get this done. It's, it's just been a, a really master class in, in organization and planning from the league to get this even to this point, to the fact that we're having scrimmages and we're seeing games in less than a week.
1: No, absolutely agree. And even for those that have left the bubble and are re-entering, they're quarantining once they get back. You know, you aren't able to re-enter and then come right back into the population that has been in the green this whole entire time. You still have to quarantine. I am pretty sure when Zion was gone, he was still being tested every day. So they're trying to kind of put bubbles around guys even when they have to (laughs) leave the bubble. But yeah, I mean, still quarantine because, I mean, the the main thing here is you don't want one person to get it because one person would be a domino effect. So they are trying to protect everybody by protecting each individual. Right. And so the more that they do that and continue to, I mean, excel at that job, the safer it's going to be.
0: It's been working so far and uh, we can only see good things and have those positive vibes as it heads to those seeding games. I want to go back to maybe earlier in the pandemic when you turned yourself into a bit of a jazz insider. You you spoke to Rudy Gobert and and he <laughs> opened up about the real tensions surrounding this team and and his relationship with Donovan Mitchell. What did you gather from that conversation and then where do you see it going? To where it is now
1: yeah so you know i'm i'm good friends with both rudy and donovan and the thing about both of them is they are competitors and they want to win and they are always going to do what is necessary to win i think that all teams go through moments i think this was maybe just a moment that was under a microscope because everybody was home we were in the middle of a pandemic right but if winning is the most important thing, then they are going to figure that out. I know that Rudy and Donovan clearly talk. I know that they hang out on campus. I know the team in general is always together, building camaraderie amongst one another. So I just think it was it was a moment. But like they've both said, like we're focused on winning a championship. And I think that whatever moment happened has passed because what they need to do is Stick together, band together, be a team, and focus on getting as many victories as possible.
0: to me, it really seemed like one of those moments out of those reality shows, like the challenge or survivor or amazing race it 's one of those flare ups that happens <laughs> you have that confrontation, but then you have to you have to win the thing, you have to win the race, you have to be the last person standing. This team is built with these two guys in mind. I see it going forward where they if if they don't have to, it's not as if they have to work together for the goal, but they have the same goal in sight. They both want to win a championship and they want to get to that, that top tier of, of being with the guys like the LeBrons, the ADs and the Giannis's and everybody that they want to go up to.
1: No, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I also think, we put so like there's a lot of recency bias, right? Like since so much was happening with Rudy at that time, everything that included Rudy was a huge story. You know, everybody wanted to talk about Rudy because for a lot of people, they they saw coronavirus through the lens of Rudy Gobert. So there was this hyper focus on what's Rudy doing and what is everybody surrounding Rudy doing. And I think when we look back on this, everybody might feel kind of bad about the way Rudy was treated once it was announced that he had COVID-19. And same for Donovan. You know, I just think that there was this stigma around it that was unfair to both of them. Now, granted, there was, Rudy shouldn't have touched the mics. You know, he knows that. He's discussed that. I think everybody knows that. But I just think it was unfair to act as though the jazz spread COVID to everybody in the NBA. That was, you know, I didn't like to see that for Donovan. I didn't like to see that for Rudy. So just because of that, um, people were very interested in that relationship. But like I said, both of those guys wanna win a championship and they're adults and they get along and they're, they're fine.
0: And, you know, Rudy, I mean, he's a different kind of cat. He was very forthcoming in the ESPN uh, piece with Tim McMahon. So self-aware, knows that sometimes he can be grading, uh, but he knows that it's going to be between them that things are going to go far. And they're very good basketball players. Do do basketball players like playing against, playing with good players? Yeah, they do. They love it. (laughs) it. It makes them completely better. Donovan, when he gets beat off the dribble, Rudy's right there as the defensive player of the year. So them them matching that on the court, uh, I'm sure everybody will be looking at. I want to hit this uh, as our, our final topic before we let you go, because you were on top of this story as well, uh, how social justice is impacting the NBA campus. I thought at a moment, things might have been halted because of the call that was arranged where these Issues were being discussed. Now that we're in it right now in the campus, how are they addressing it? You mentioned a little bit with what Russell Westbrook is doing.
1: Yeah, no, I have been so proud to see the way that social justice is at the forefront of so many things. You know, I was at the Laker game when LeBron did his first post scrimmage presser, and the entire thing was about Breonna Taylor um, and racial injustice in this country. He hit so many key points. He was incredibly thoughtful and passionate on the topic. And obviously, anytime LeBron speaks, people listen. Right after LeBron Anthony Davis came up, he addressed Brianna Taylor the whole press conference as well. After A.D. Frank Vogel came up. He addressed Brianna Taylor as well. Like I mentioned, Russell Westbrook discussed racism and the responsibility that owners have to back social justice. It's just been everywhere. We saw it with Josh Hart, we saw it with Tobias Harris, we saw it with Jeremy Grant, like we saw it with so many people, and that's only going to continue. You know, I love that the court says Black Lives Matter. I love that it is so in your face and it encourages these conversations to continue to happen and continue to bring awareness to so many people who deserve it and give voices to the voiceless and the voices to those whose voices should be elevated so it's it's been great i think i initially was very hesitant about the nba coming back and thinking that people would then care a little less about the things in life that are really really important but it's been very good to see that there is definitely a focus on it and it's important and we're all covering it and there's gonna be stories about systemic racism constantly because the NBA players won't let it die.
0: And I've just been so heartened to see, I mean, even the white basketball players jumping into the fray. JJ Redick, here when uh, the Jazz had their incident with a fan, Kyle Korver was so eloquent in bringing it up, discussing the topics of, of being a white player. Uh, Joe Ingles has now been one of the guys to look forward to in this. It's we've seen a shift where now it's not just the players who uh, everybody goes to and asks them about these topics. No, the the white athletes are now starting to get to be that ally and and speaking on the topic for themselves as well.
1: No, absolutely, because it's important. You know, I do this uh, series with Bleach Report. It's taken it, their defining and. It is all about exploring race through the lens of different athletes. We've had DeMar DeRozan, Matt Barnes, Malcolm Jenkins, J.J. Reddick, and they have all been so eloquent. And it is great that J.J. understands that this responsibility really is on those that look like him to do everything that they can to make America an equal place for everybody. So every player has really moved me with their openness, uh, with their willingness to speak, willingness to Advocate for others. It's it's been great. There's just been so many positives that have come out from a very negative situation, which is the pandemic. But I think there's there's some good things that are happening as well.
0: We've seen the report in the LA Times that players are considering kneeling on Thursday. What do you expect uh, the voice of social justice to be once the seeding games actually
1: start? I think it will continue. I think it will be amplified, truly. I I don't think we're going to see a difference
0: here in Orlando.
1: This is clearly on the forefront of everybody's mind. I'm excited to see jerseys that have the words on them. I'm excited to see what everybody talks about post-game and in practice. It's just, it's going to continue, mainly because it has to continue. And I think it's been great to hear players say things like, in the world, which is police brutality, they're going to take advantage of that.
0: Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report. You can find her on social media. Just search Taylor Rooks. Catch the Bubble Journals, which are on Bleacher Report's YouTube channel. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time. We look forward to the coverage.
1: No, thank you. Thank you. I, um, I hope the jazz do well. I'm sure there's a lot of jazz listeners. <laughs> Good luck to um, Utah Jazz here in Orlando. It's going to be exciting. Thanks so much for having me.